Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we welcome you here tonight. And all of you joining us for live stream, welcome with us. And let's uh, commit our mind and our heart uh, to the Word of God tonight. Amen. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Our text tonight is going to be verses 16 through 18. We close out this study through the book of 2 Thessalonians and uh, over the last, I think, 18, 19, 20 weeks, we've been through these three chapters in the epistle to a close here tonight. And these verses that we're going to read here are the conclusion to Paul's letter. And what you're going to find here is one of the more Paul uses or phrases that Paul uses in his epistles, and whether that's at the beginning of an epistle or at the end, uh, pretty much no matter who Paul was writing to, the thing that he closes with was the desire of his heart for them. And it was very common for Paul to use this phrase, but the reason it was, it wasn't just like a, you know, we have greetings like, hey, how you doing? And it's just like we have the same phrases. Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. You know, and there's not a lot of thought that's necessarily put into that. And maybe there is well wishes there, but there's not a lot of thought that's put into it. That's how it may seem to some people when Paul says these things, but that's not at all what he's meaning. And so let's look at verses 16 through 18 here. Paul says, now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always. By all means, the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What we find here is that Paul desires God's grace and God's peace in the lives of these people that were so dear to him. And again, it might seem like a common um, recurring theme or phrase that Paul uses, but it wasn't common at all. Uh, there was some, these people were very dear to him. These are notable things that Paul is desiring for them uh, in their life. It's also notable to us that Paul would address some areas of correction earlier on in chapter 3. We walked our way through chapter 3, addressing all of the things that Paul highlights that were some deficiencies in the lives of these believers. But at the end of the chapter, or the end of the epistle... Paul points to the right source of strength in order to make those corrections. You understand what I'm saying? So here are some deficiencies. Here's some things that you need to work on. But here's also the right source that will enable you to actually make those corrections in your life. It wasn't their own strength. It wasn't their own resource. It was God's grace in their life that enabled, would enable them to uh, deal with and make the corrections that Paul had already addressed. And so all of that to say that this then becomes a valuable lesson for us as well in our Christian life, because we need the very same things. We need God's grace and we need peace from God in our life. And we're going to consider God's peace and God's grace found in these verses, but I want to do it in reverse order of the way that it's given here. Before we do that, let me just make a comment on verse 17. 
because verse 16 and verse 18 are going to be the highlights for us tonight. But in verse 17, the Bible says the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Uh, most believe that um, at this point in Paul's life, um, as was the case in several epistles, uh, Paul notes here that it was his handwritten signature that was verifying the authorship of this letter. He says, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand. And then he says, which is the token of every epistle. So in other words, the, he notes here his own handwritten signature. That's the verification of the authorship of this letter. And why would that be the case? Well, most believe that Paul's eyesight had deteriorated so badly uh, by this point in his life that he couldn't any longer write legibly in his own hand. And so he would use somebody uh, that he would dictate the body or the main part of the epistle to. They would write that down. And at the end of it, he would personally scrawl his signature. And that became the token or the sign of the authenticity of that epistle. And whether that's true or not, I don't really, really know. Most people believe that's the case. It seems like that could be very true. Uh, why does he say, the salutation with mine own hand, this is the token, and so on. Just a comment on that verse, just because we're going to not be in that verse. But it gives us some insight into maybe where Paul was at in his life. But what was the main thing that Paul wanted for these people? Well, we, again, we find in verse 16 and verse 18 that Paul wants God's peace in their life. God wants, or he wants God's grace in their life. And so we're going to consider these last two thoughts as we finish up corrections and conclusions. That's, we've been in that title for the last three or four weeks uh, as we've, we've considered this chapter. So let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight. We'll be uh, simple thoughts, but very powerful and profound. And I pray that our hearts and minds would be engaged with the Word of God tonight. And Lord, it's not my job to entertain people. It's not my job to, uh, to, um, to make it good for people. Lord, we simply give the Word of God. Uh, we feed. And Father, it's our own responsibility to ingest it to digest it, to apply it in our life. And I pray that that would be our heart and our mind here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's consider, first of all, verse 18, and the thing that Paul wanted was God's grace for them. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Now, why is that a, an important statement or an important thought that Paul wants to get across to these people, we have to first of all start by asking the question, what is grace exactly? Grace is all that God is free to do for His people because of Christ. Grace emphasizes or places the emphasis on the work of God in someone's life and not on our own. Or, or our own labor, or our own strength. Grace is, is solely emphasizing God's work and God's ability 
in a person's life. We know the definition of grace. It is divine favor, right? Unmerited favor. Favor from God that is undeserved uh, by sinful people. It is divine favor. Uh, it also means divine enabling, meaning that it's not my own ability, but His ability. It's divine favor. It's divine enabling. It puts all the emphasis on the work of God, not my own work. And God extends His grace to us without merit on our part. Okay, so let's just let it sink in. You know the definition, but let it sink in. God extends His favor, God extends His enabling to us without merit on our part, meaning that it's completely undeserved. We haven't done anything to earn this favor or this enabling. And so the principle is God's grace is all the resources that God has that He is able to give to the believer freely. And so in this case, as Paul is closing out this epistle, he says, my heart's desire for you is that God's grace would be in your life, that you would have God's favor, that you would have God's enabling. And here's the application. Listen, as, as simple as that is, because if, you're, if you've been around, you know this truth, okay? I'm not telling you something brand new here tonight. But it is absolutely something that we often will just overlook or not hold on to or grab onto. We never, ever, ever outgrow our need for God's grace. Okay, I've been saved for 27 years of my life. I've been saved longer than I was not saved in my life, right? I've had 27 years of growing in the Lord. I'm not today what I used to be. I am not what I want to be. And listen, the, the more that I grow in my life, there's never a point when I outgrow the need for God's grace. How long have you been saved, Pastor Humphrey? Fifty years. Praise the Lord. Is that right? Sixty years. Yeah, sixty years. That's right. Sixty years. Praise the Lord. But there's never a time when Pastor Humphrey outgrows the need for God's grace in his life. Brother Gerth, how long have you been saved? Forty years. He was ready. He knew it was coming. Forty years. You're a different person than you used to be. Amen? There's never a time when Brother Gerth outgrows the need for God's grace in his life. We need God's grace. We need God's mercy. We need God's peace. We can't, listen, we can't operate at any point in time in our Christian life effectively without grace. We could no more do that than we could exist without food and water physically. We just can't, right? So grab on to this in your Christian life. I mean, we know what to do. We know what to say. We know all the, the lingo. We know the passages in the Word of God. Listen, we've got this. I've got character even in my life. And I'm disciplined in my life. I mean, not, not, not so much, but I'm just, you understand what I'm saying. 
But there's never a moment when I can effectively function in my Christian life without the grace of God. Okay, I don't know if I'm getting this across to you or not, but I'm hoping that you're grabbing onto this truth. Because here's how it applies. You know, we live, uh, as we live in this world. We have relationships with people. We've got, uh, you know, a life that we've you know, made for ourselves, and we sojourn through this life. We're always interacting with people on every level. We're, doing, we're just living life. And just living life requires... Living life, listen, effectively or spiritually requires the grace of God. Let's just talk about relationships, for example. When you put a lot of work into a relationship, you can get pretty good at communicating with people and understanding people and helping people and so on. But you know what? There's never ever a point in time when we get so good in relationships that we don't need God's grace. God's grace, listen, and here's the reason why. Because people are sinful, and so are you. I'm sinful, so are you. And when it comes to relationships, we need God's grace because, listen, God's grace enables us to be able to give grace to other people in our relationships when they don't deserve it. Right? Let's just think about it. You've been married a long time. You really know the individual. You know the person. But how often do we operate in the flesh or respond in the flesh even though we know somebody really well? Okay, you with me? There are times when that happens when, listen, what, what, needs to be, what needs to be extended right in this moment, because you failed, you messed up. What needs to be extended in this moment is some grace. But God's grace is what enables me then to extend that to somebody else who needs grace when they don't deserve it. It's unmerited, right? It's unearned. They don't deserve it, but they need grace. People mess up. People mess up. People screw up. People need grace. We need grace. But we can't do that in our flesh. Because it's not normally our nature to give. In fact, it's our nature to be selfish. It's our nature to be proud. Grace is something, listen, grace is something that is given that can never be earned. And God gives His to us, and so must we. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has, hath dealt to each one, a measure of faith. What is Paul saying? How I should deal with other people. I shouldn't think more highly of myself, number one. But listen, it's the grace that is given to me from God. We need grace when it comes to relationships. We need God's grace when it comes to dealing with ourselves and our own flesh. Listen, I don't have the ability to defeat my flesh. I need divine enabling 
to have victory over my flesh. Okay, are you following this? At what point am I not needing God's grace in my life? 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Listen, we work at denying our flesh, and we should. The Bible tells us to flee youthful lust. That's our responsibility, right? We cooperate with God, yet it is the grace of God or the enabling of God within that actually gains victory. I can't do that of myself. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most I, gladly will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. James 4 and verse 8 says, But he giveth more grace. Therefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. 1 Peter 5.10 But may the God of all grace, who hath called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish you, strengthen, settle you. The God of all grace. Listen, God corners the market on grace. There's no middleman. There's no department store that you can go and buy some grace from. You can't buy it anywhere. God gives it. And He gives it directly, and He gives it without strings, because it's not earned. Hebrews 4 and verse 16, Let us therefore... Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you glad for God's grace? His favor and His enabling? Listen, grace is God's favor and God's influence upon the heart that becomes reflected in the life. God's influence on my heart that becomes reflected in the way that I live. We need God's grace because God's grace is sustaining and enabling us to maintain spiritual balance in our life. Listen, when something upsets you and you react in the flesh, we're displaying the old nature. And the reason we do that and the reason we display that old nature is because we're not drawing on the grace of God in that moment. The divine enabling to respond right. We're relying on our own resource. And it's in those moments that we start to discover we're not nearly as spiritual as we thought we were. We need God's grace to navigate life. We need God's grace to navigate marriage. Amen. We need God's grace to navigate raising children. We need God's grace to navigate other relationships. We need God's grace to navigate finances. We need God's grace in everything. There's never a point when we outgrow it. We need to hold on to that. We can struggle, and we can get defeated, and we can be cast down, and my flesh is strong, and I can't get victory. 
listen, we, can, we, we, miss, we miss this, that I need to rely on the enabling of God that works in me. Amen. But you also note here, not just the need of grace, but we also note the source of grace. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Notice that? The grace of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the source of grace. Go over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Note this. In John chapter 1, and again, you know that the Gospel of John is written to highlight the deity of Jesus Christ. And we know verse 14, it talks about who Jesus was. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. We, we, we talk about that. We say this highlights who Jesus was. He's the Word who became flesh, who dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of, of Jehovah God in Jesus Christ. But the last statement of verse 14 is so powerful. He is full of grace and truth. But then you get to verse 16, and notice what he says. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. You see that? He is full of grace and truth, and of His fullness we've received. You see that? Here's the source of this grace. It is Jesus Christ. And I love these verses here that talk about not just the deity of, of, of Jesus Christ, but, but that He is all in all, that He is everything, and He is the ultimate source of grace. He's the only one that Now, the word fullness here is a term that's important to bring out here because it gives us the scope of God's grace in Jesus Christ. The word fullness here in verse 16, it means repletion or it means completion. It, it's talking about the full thing, like there's no room for anything else. He's full of grace. And so in other words, and it's of His fullness that we've received. In other words, it's out of His inexhaustible fullness that we have received anything. You know what? There's not one person who is self-made or who is the source of his ability or the source of his own strength. There's not one person who is the source of his own ability or the source of his own strength. It's of him have we received. Listen, of him have we received life. Of him have we received health. Of him have we received joy or peace or anything else. In him we have our being in Christ alone. In other words, there is laid up in Jesus Christ this great storehouse of grace. All that the believer needs, both in time and in all of eternity, there's this storehouse of grace that is laid up in Jesus Christ. He is full of grace, and of His fullness we have received. Grab onto this. And then verse 16 says, 
and grace for grace. Now, what in the world does that mean? Grace for grace. Well, the word for can mean two things. It can either mean upon or it can mean new, something to supply the old. And so when we're talking about grace for grace, it could be grace upon grace. In other words, God's favor, God's enablement that's heaped up one upon another, just piles and piles and piles of God's grace. Or it can mean new grace to supply old grace. In other words, grace that is sufficient for right now to meet the need right now. And then grace for tomorrow that's sufficient to meet that need for tomorrow. And something that is just recurring over and over and over again. An inexhaustible supply that never runs out. So I want you to understand this. There's never a time... When we, can, when we outgrow the need for God's grace. But there's also never a time when God's grace is going to run out. Amen. Hallelujah. That encourages me because of all the times that I fail. Oh, I just got to get up and I got to do it again. Oh, and I failed again. Oh, I just got to get up and I got to do it again. And I just keep failing over and over and over again. Why? Because I'm not leaning on the inexhaustible supply that is su sufficient for the need for right now. And when I go through the trial that's hard to bear and my heart hurts, God's grace is sufficient for that. And I seem to have some peace and I move on with life and all of a sudden it comes back again. And my heart hurts again. God's grace is sufficient for it again. And then tomorrow there's an even greater burden that I never ever would imagine I could ever walk through. And I go back to the source of grace and God's grace is sufficient for that too. Grace upon grace. Over and over again. Heaps and heaps of God's grace. And listen, when the trial gets really hard and, there's, and you walk through a, a valley that you've never been before and it's just so insurmountable, it seems, all of a sudden we find this measure of grace that we have never known before. And we see it in a whole new light. And we walk through because of the grace of God, the enablement of God that moves us on. Yeah, amen, brother. Sure going to need it when all of a sudden one of your children gets deathly sick and they're knocking on death's door. What am I going to do? I need this new supply of grace that I've never known before. Or when your loved one, who's so dear to your heart and your soul, tragically or suddenly dies, or maybe it's just the natural course of life and they die, and you experience pain that you have never, ever known before. But inside, in all of the pain, there's still the joy that you can't really describe, that's unspeakable. And you walk through, 
the trial and people stand back and they're like, how in the world can you be joyful? How in the world do you manage with such tragedy or hurt and loss? And listen, it's only by the grace of God. Because it's sure not in me. How do you forgive that one who so crushed you and broken your heart and offended you? By the grace of God. Enabling that I don't have. You see, there's never a time when we outgrow the need for God's grace. But there's never a time when His grace is going to run out. He's full of it. Full of grace. And whether we're talking about grace upon grace, or whether we're talking about new grace to supply the old and sufficient for every need, listen, it doesn't matter. Both of those things are true. God's favor is certainly heaped upon us. Amen? We're so blessed beyond measure. But we can also trust Him that He's going to enable moment by moment to walk through the trial of life. And it's never going to run out. He's full of grace. (coughs) Excuse me. And of His fullness, we have received. It's endless, non-diminishing supply of God's favor. And God's enabling. Listen, that is the grace that Paul says to the Thessalonians, this is what I want for you. It's so much bigger than just an ending to a letter. And so it is with us. We need the same grace to navigate life. And I'm just simply saying this. How often do we say, Lord, I just need your grace today. Before I even start this day, I need it. Because I don't have it. But you're the source of it. And it'll never run out. And so, Lord, I don't deserve it. But would you just help? Would you just give grace today? And I'm going to come before the throne of grace to find it in time of need. Amen? Hey, all right, good. Look at verse 16. Go back to our text. Look at verse 16. Paul says, Now the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always, by all means, the Lord be with you all. Here the second thing is that Paul wants peace for these believers. And what is peace then? So we ask the question of what is grace. Let's ask the same question. What is peace? Well, peace is the internal benefit that God gives to those who will fellowship with Him. Peace is, is, is harmony in the soul, if you will. But here's the thing about peace. There is no peace until first God extends His grace. Why is that? Because we can't have peace with God until God gives us His grace first. Right? Peace always follows God's grace because it flows from God's grace. And so here's an application. If you're a believer... You're a true child of God. Every true child of God has peace with God, according to Romans chapter 5, 1. Okay? We've made peace with God. 
The offense of our sin is gone. Jesus Christ resolved that issue once and for all. Amen. He settled that issue on the cross. We have peace with God. The enemy factor is gone because our sin is removed in Christ. And so every true Christian has peace with God. However, not every Christian has the peace of God in their life. Now look at Philippians chapter 4. And this Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to start digging into this passage of Scripture, finding calm or experiencing calm in a chaotic world. That definitely speaks of peace, doesn't it? Philippians chapter 4 in verse 6, the Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he talks about what you think about. He talks about what you do and so on. We're going to get into those verses. But verse 7 says it's the peace of God that is beyond what you can imagine. It passes all understanding. Not every Christian experiences. I think that's pretty evident. We can just walk around the room right now, and we can find out how many are just full of anxiety right now. That's not the peace of God. Unsaved people, they try to find peace in different forms. They might try by drowning their heartaches in booze or drugs. They might hate their life. And they can't wait to find a way to drown out those sorrows because they don't have peace in their soul. That's, they're trying to escape. They'll never find peace in trying to escape the problems. We know that. But listen, friend, neither will the Christian. The Christian will never find peace in living according to what they think will make them happy or ignoring the things that God is trying to do in their life. Maybe it's an issue of sin that they're ignoring. You're never going to find peace. We've got to come to grips with the problems and we've got to turn them over to the Lord and His grace and the things that will eventually come from God. So the question, let me just ask you the question here. And you think about it. And take this personal. Take this really personal, because it's personal. I'm not going to offend you. Don't take it so personal, okay? Here's the question. And I want you to think about it. What is eating you right now? What is eating you right now? Or who is giving you grief in your life right now? What is the problem that seems to continually come up or reoccur? What is it? Who is it? Are you with me? Are you thinking? Now you're in trouble. You went with me. Listen, friend. Listen. Do you know that God is waiting for you to bring that very thing right to Him? Because He wants to give you some peace in your life. 
You just keep going with it. You just keep going with it. It's a continual problem. You can't let it go. It's always bothering you. It keeps coming back. It's a source of turmoil, a source of anxiety in your life. That's not the peace of God that passes all understanding, is it? And he's just waiting for you to come to him with that very thing. And peace will come when you finally let it go and give it to him. Well, that just sounds so simple, Pastor. It's too, yeah, you're right, it does. But it's not so simple, is it? As evidenced by the fact that there's still anxiety going on right now. It's not so simple, is it? But you know, Isaiah 26, 3, it says, Thou, God, will keep him in perfect or complete peace, whose mind is stayed on who? Thee. Not the problem. Because, here's the rest of it, he trusteth in thee. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Not the problem. Why can I keep my mind on you? Because I trust you with the problem. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give, do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's Christ's peace that he wants to give. John 16, 33, these things have I spoken to you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you will have tri tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in all believing, that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, you know what? God is the God of peace. Five times he's called the God of peace. Romans 15, 13 says the God of peace. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 16, 20 calls him the God of peace. Roman, Philippians 4, 9, the God of peace. Hebrews 13, 12, the God, 20, the God of peace. He's the God of peace. So when there's a problem and where there's an issue... And when there's trouble and it's just continual and continual and it's a source of frustration and strife in your life, friend, are you taking it to the Lord and really letting it go and trusting in the Lord? Are you? Are you really? Well, I sure am trying. I'm doing my best. Well, then are you relying on the grace of God first? Because I can't do that alone, right? Are you seeing how this ties together? I sure am trying to let it go. Well, God's grace is sufficient. Are you relying on that first? And when you do, peace is going to follow. I'm trying to help you here. Because some of you are And you continually struggle. There's an answer. There's an answer. And it's only in Christ. Peace comes from the Lord. Peace is 
from the Spirit of God, Galatians 5.22. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. You can't, by your own effort even, work it out and conjure it up. And here's the reason, listen, we always think, like, if the problem goes away, then I'll have peace. No, that's not it. Love the problem. Because of the grace of God, you can still have God's peace. Well, how does that how do we know? Well, because of how we respond when our attitude and everything else is just all our mood is just completely disrupted and changed. Listen, come on. Are you with me here? In the middle of the problem, I can still have peace. It's not gonna affect my mood. And have these mood swings that are up and down and all around and all over the place. Listen, we don't get the spiritual commodities of grace and peace from this natural world. We don't get them from ourselves. They don't originate down here. They only come from God and how desperately we need them. Amen? We can't function in this Christian life without it. What is the peace? Well, peace is a quietness. Peace is a rest in the soul that's a natural result of God's favor in our life. Are you at peace? Well, God always gives peace within as we rely on Him and trust in Him. And Paul's desire for the people in Thessalonica was the God of peace Himself give you that peace by all means and in all ways and in all areas of your life. He can. He will. That's something we desperately need. Amen? I hope that's been a help to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word here. Help us not depending on our own thinking and navigating through. And if only this would go away or that would happen, then I would be at rest or at peace. And no, I need God's grace first to be able to extend grace to other people. I need divine enabling first to do what I cannot possibly do. And then, when I trust in you, and I leave it with you, because I trust in you, you minister peace, even in the middle of the trouble. Then, Lord, I pray that you would grow us up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, who was the perfect personification of grace and peace. Lord, we need you, and I pray that you'd show us again how desperately we need it, and we need you, so that we may depend on you and rely on you. In Jesus' name, amen.